I'm Jack Zedlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2020 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series. In today's program, we get a glimpse at some of the speakers and topics on tap for the 7th Annual National Strip-Tillage Conference coming up August 6th and 7th in Omaha, Nebraska. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Also, thanks to our 12 title sponsors of the 2020 National Strip Tillage Conference for their support of the event. You can learn more about these companies and the event at striptillconference.com. Well, breaking yield barriers, implementing innovative cover cropping strategies, analyzing the benefits of banding versus broadcast application of fertilizer, digging into the causes and solutions for fixing compaction, and the economic advantages of custom strip tilling. These topics and more are all scheduled to be discussed at the 2020 National Strip Tillage Conference this summer as part of an agenda that features general sessions, classroom presentations, and roundtable discussions. In today's Strip Till Farmer podcast, we share excerpts from conversations with five strip till experts scheduled to speak at the seventh annual conference. We start with some perspective from Montreal strip tiller Mike Verdant who suggests that weed pressure, erosion, and a reliance on heavy herbicide and fertilizer applications are all symptoms of sick soil. The anecdote? Reducing tillage, moving to year-round multi-species cover cropping, and putting a focus on rebuilding and maintaining soil health. Mike offers a few thoughts on how he's made this transition and some of the cover cropping methods he's put into practice on his 2,500-acre operation. Obviously, when you spoke a few years ago, you focused the, the presentation on, you know, what you were doing specific to uh, some of the cover cropping practices that you had deployed. I wanted, I guess, at least get your thoughts on, on maybe a, a subject that you feel passionately about or something you thought uh, would be a good fit for the conference. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a, of a northern area guy. Sometimes sure. establishing the cover crops is always the big, big, big problem getting the because we got a shorter window mm-hmm. so it's always to get because the main goal we're trying to have or trying to do is to build biomass yep. and to build biomass you need time and that time we don't have so we're kind of fooling around with intercropping and and and, and broadcasting before the leaves fall in soybeans just to give you an example i know a lot of guys do that but when it doesn't work what do you do so yeah, yeah. you're trying to put wheat back into the system but wheat is, is the poverty grass, but uh, sometimes maybe on the five-year period, it's worth considering the wheat rotation in our area, at least, because we only do one crop a year. Uh, sure. And, and uh, so, so sometimes that's the big challenges we got. We got a few tricks here and there trying to establish cover crops and then and like broadcasting on corn with the modified equipment uh, at the end of August, things like that. Otherwise, there's a lot of things we can talk about. Uh, we got heavy, heavy, super-duty clay, and that's mm-hmm. another challenge. And, and that heavy clay, do you strip in the fall? Do you strip in the spring? Do you do both? I prefer both. And then strip-till is kind of a tool to get you, I don't like saying to get you to no-till. No, but it gets you into a less, more of a minimum-till mm-hmm. system, but you need to build your soils. That's the main, that's the main objective. And building your soils takes time. 
mm-hmm. buildings or life takes time. And strip till is a tool to 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 get you uh, to, to, to like we call it the carbon borrower. We borrow a bit of carbon with a strip till. We don't till everywhere. Mm-hmm. We just borrow a little bit here and there. That's why we use a strip till. And I don't think we'll ever do no-till in our northern area because uh, just injecting fertilizer, there's going to be a lot of restrictions with that too, especially for corn. Soybeans, you can manage going straight no-till. But corn, in our area, at least you need to warm up the soil for corn. You want an early start. Because we're going to start planting, usually we like to start early May, end of April, uh, which is relatively late So mm-hmm. for a lot of guys. Uh, compared to a lot of guys in Iowa who are already planning, I'm sure. Sure. So that's why it's another challenge. It's another challenge. And, and, and like I said, yeah, you put a bit of cereal rye, but when you when you terminate it in spring, it's maybe six, eight, eight inches tall. Mm-hmm. That's not where you build biomass. So what we do now is trying to work more with uh, alfalfa and birds with tree pollen, other legumes, trying to have something constant that will build not biomass on top, but biomass. Okay. So we're creating a, a, a underground biomass. Yeah. See? So that's the... Uh, that's our main objective. So that's many topics I can talk about. I can talk about underground biomass. I can talk about uh, <laughs> yeah. using using uh, something like that. Uh, see, see uh, building biomass with roots instead of uh, shoots. Next, I caught up with University of Illinois researcher Scott Foxhoven, who has been conducting replicated plot research assessing the impact of banded potassium and nitrogen on crop response including placement in proximity to the seedbed and the safety of applying high-salt fertilizers in the row ahead of planting. Scott offers a few thoughts on the scope of the research and some initial findings on why and how banded fertilizer application can benefit a strip-till system. We're doing small plot research, like highly replicated small plot research, and it's not necessarily like grower strip trials, but the only thing that's nice about it is it allows us to look at multiple different, like, management practices. So to give you an idea of kind of what our lab has really gone after, we're, over the years, we've looked at, like, I believe Trison Bayer, a predecessor of mine, what he looked at was the effect of phosphorus placement mm-hmm. at different distances away from the crop row. Mm-hmm. So, like, how close did that fertilized band have to be underneath the crop row in order to be successful strip till? So with that, we have actually, he did that with phosphorus. Mm -hmm. The research that we've been kind of doing with that is also going, so taking some of that same research and then also applying it to potassium. Okay. We've had a lot of guys in this area that are weary about banding potassium. Now, when we say banding, everything is done with a coulter toolbar Mm -hmm. in the spring, the day before we're planting or even sometimes the day of planting. Okay. So we have a lot of guys ask questions on is, is it safe to band like high salt fertilizers directly underneath the row right before I'm about to plant? Right. So we've been kind of tackling a lot of this safety issue with some of these fertilizers. So I've looked at a lot of different potassium sources, mirror to potash with um, mirror to potash and different sulfur sources in the band. Mm -hmm. And then We've also done similar kind of research with nitrogen being urea and ESN. Okay. And we've had really, really good success with uh, urea and ESN, especially ESN with a little bit more slow release. So that would be kind of, I would probably hit on some of like the, the phosphorus work that we've done in the past, take that again to 
some of our potassium research, some of our nitrogen research, kind of like go through each nutrient. Okay. And then kind of bring it all together. And we have some really cool studies that um, it's like basically just a really all-encompassing look at broadcast fertilizer compared compared to banding fertilizer and then what different management practices are going to impact how you're going to have different responses with those two managements. So like one of them that we've done, it was a really cool study from 2019, was I took 10 different hybrids and we put them at three different populations, like 30,000, 36, and 42,000 plants per acre. So think of it as low, medium, and high. Mm-hmm. And we tested how they all um, responded to fertilizer for broadcast and how they responded to fertilizer when I was banding. Sure. And what was really interesting was if I was at 30,000 plants per acre, which is very low for central champagne, mm-hmm. there wasn't a huge difference between broadcast and banding. Like they were both going to have really good responses, but there wasn't a big separation. Sure. The thing that was really interesting is when I went up to like 36,000, which is typical for central Illinois. Yeah. The range, like you had like a nine bushel response advantage over broadcasting. Like Bandy was a nine bushel advantage when I was at a normal population. And then on top of that, when I went up to 42,000, some aggressive populations, that advantage of banding was significantly higher, up to about 14, 15 bushels. Okay. And so what we try and tie it into is like corn yields are increasing from year to year. Now, a big thing that's driving that increase in just average corn yield is increased planting population. The reason or what the impact of increased planting population is the size of each corn plant's root system is decreasing as you increase population. So our lab does a lot of really dirty work and goes out and root digs hundreds and hundreds of plots um, come the end of the year to basically like get a visual and then also an actual number behind how much does that root system decrease as you increase population. And so we take some of that results where it really gives a hard number of how as you're increasing population, that corn plant's root system is significantly decreasing. And then we tie that back to answer the question of why is banding better than broadcast? And it really comes down to just if I have a smaller root system, it can't explore the soil near as much. So I have to place that fertilizer right where the roots can actually get to it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm like the research that I've typically done is like kind of centered around that mentality right there. Like that's the big picture of why is banding better? Well, because as I'm increasing populations, that root system gets smaller and I need to place that fertility better. And then depending on the crowd that we're talking to, the other aspect of this is, and it gets a little more complicated, but hybrids differ in how they respond to fertility. We've seen this significantly for the last like three years and now. they don't really have good responses to fertility. Mm-hmm. I mean, not even just banded fertility, but fertility in general, because there's just such good root to soil contact. I mean, they can mine the soil in essence where we also have other hybrids that just have somewhat of a smaller root system. Mm-hmm. And those are the hybrids that really, really respond to that band of fertility or that fertility in general.
Well, transitioning into strip-till was a strategic decision for Charles City, Virginia farmer David Hula. A no-tiller since 1984, he converted a portion of corn acreage on his operation to strip-till. Seeking an opportunity to continue pushing corn yields, David made several passes in 2018, also applying fertilizer, seeing a 37 bushel per acre yield bump in the first field he strip-tilled. David shares some of the early returns, lessons learned, and future opportunity with incorporating strip-till practices onto his farm. Hey, I'm Dave Hewler with Rimwood Farms from Charles City, Virginia. And, you know, when I think about 2019 and for the last couple of years, some of the things that we have changed to reach some of the yield plateaus that we're at. Back in the late 70s and early 80s, we were no-tilling corn and soybeans, kind of standard procedure. And then in the fall of 86, my dad and granddad and I kind of thought about let's transition to also doing some no-till small grain into this no-till program. So we went from part of a tillage small grain crop to a no-till corn and soybean crop to what is now known as a never-till program. After doing that for many years, and you know, we thought we had a great program because we farm along the banks of the James River, which is a tributary of the Chesapeake Bay, so water quality is huge. Sandy soil, so we got to conserve moisture, so no-till you know, gets the rain to go into the soil and then it keeps it from evaporating out. You know, as we got to yield barriers and we were kind of pushing things, we were introduced to some strip-till. I heard some growers talk about strip-tailing. And so I kind of doing some investigating and then we were introduced to the ETS system, the Soil Warrior. And, you know, they had one come down to us and, you know, we played with a few acres of it. You know, we were impregnating some fertilizer with it, running some strip-till and then planting their corn crop behind that. You know, some of the things that we saw. The first year we did it in the very first field, we saw like 37 bushel yield difference. Like, holy smoke, what is going on here? Then some of the later fields didn't see as much drastic variation in yield, but what we did notice that was consistent was emergence. We had a better seed bed preparation, because you know, we, we thought we had a good system with our no-till, with our planter and, you know, not row markers or trash sweeps, but we were using no-till coulter, closing system. But as we started doing the soil warrior, we were seeing that uh, seed bed preparation, even emergence. Then we started putting fertilizer in it. So then we transitioned into 2019, ran it for the second year, and my son was running it because, you know, I come up with the ideas on some things and, you know, get somebody to actually do the, you know, boots on the ground. He was running it and, you know, we were getting that, you know, well, first back up. Here you get somebody, here I'm a guy that likes to go slow, planting and stuff, and they're telling us we need to run this thing at six, seven, eight, nine mile an hour. So, you know, that's hard for me to conceive, but, you know, for the next generation, that's a whole lot easier because speed, you know, how fast we are with internet, just speed. So we're running that and getting that great seed bed. And then we got to planting their corn, and the thing we saw in 2019 was we had decent moisture, we had good heat, but air uniformity emergence. From a grower standpoint, when they think about how can they improve their yields on corn, the first thing comes with their planter. You know, the planting process and anything to enhance that, to get that picket fence stand and uniform emergence. And when I say uniform, it's like when one plant comes up, all the other ones adjacent to it come up within 10, 12 GDUs. We were getting that. In fact, on air stands, we were only getting maybe 1% 
2% that would come up later than the rest of it. So that's a benefit. Then when you start thinking about what other savings or what other benefits are with the strip-till, rather than broadcasting all this fertilizer, now you can put it in a zone that you can be more efficient. And you know, we don't have as much compaction or we don't have a hard pan because of our, our previous no-till situation. So we were only working in like a three or four inch deep, seven or eight inch band. And we were putting all those nutrients in that band for the entire crop, particularly phosphorus and some potash and, and some micros. And then we were adding some nitrogen sulfur or on just, you know, just kind of filling all that void. And the thing that, I guess when I think of 2019, what was unique about it other than sunlight and temperatures was that amount of fertilizer we put out with the soil warrior as opposed to just putting our fertilizer out with our planter we filled a void because you know we start side dressing our corn but this fertilizer within the soil where that nutrients was breaking down becoming available because the biology in the soil the, it was in the root zone and it just our tissue levels showed that we didn't get that drop off like we normally do so we kind of had a maintained curve going up and then you know late in the season it, it peaks out and starts to roll down we just push that curve further down in the growing season so i contribute the benefits of soil warrior stand plant health and nutrient availability were some of the key things it's not every day we're going to have yields like we had this past year so soil warrior is part of our team and you know i give a lot of credit to that part of that uh, program that we're implementing so so david after that many years of no-till you know you, you more commonly hear about the transition you know from strip till into no-till not so much no-till yep. strip till you know when when you made that change you know maybe what what was going through your mind as far as you know <laughs> is, is this the right decision you know are, are we doing the right things here when we first started thinking about the strip till you know, here I'm a never-till guy. So, you know, what, what are going to be my oppositions? I was worried about erosion, number one, because now we, we felt like we had a good job where we weren't having any erosion going on, and now I got this zone, whether we're going crossways or up and down the road. We controlled that because there's still a little bit of residue there in that strip. It's not like we're blowing it all out. And then the other thing was, what are, what's happening with our overall plant health? Now, so we're strip-tilling our corn, so we're doing that in the late winter. We've unfortunately, because of our wet falls, we haven't been able to do it in the fall. So late winter, then we're stripping this, planting air, either we're gonna do soybeans or our corn, but then we're gonna no-till our small grain back behind that. So this is only a small percentage of it, and we're only working up, you know, eight inch wide of a 30 inch row pass. So we're most of our area is undisturbed. It gave me a lot of confidence, particularly when I saw we weren't getting erosion, and then I realized, that, hey, we're gonna start no-tilling right back into this. So our organic matter, our plant life, all the benefits of uh, no-till, we haven't sacrificed that by turning the whole crop or the residue over. Last question I had for you was just, um, what, what potential or opportunity do you see with the system you're developing with strip-till? I mean, where, where do you want to take this? What's your next steps? When I think about us transitioning from uh, never-till to a strip-till rotation part, particularly in the corn, 
things that I look for is going to be how we're going to improve our soil health. Because I see that we're going to be adding some soil amendment products, you know, maybe humic acids or some biological products that we're going to be adding there, putting them in a band in the root zone, and then also the fertilizer placement component of it. Here we're taking where we're broadcasting it now, you know, you can you actually can reduce your fertilizer applications by 60%, or excuse me, by 40%, and just put 60% of it in the band, and you're being more efficient with your dollar. Then the other thing that we see is we're not sacrificing all the no-till no properties in the bulk for um, erosion control and then water management. Because most growers are dealing with water management some way. Either they got too much, and they're trying to tile it to get it off, or they don't have enough and we're trying to conserve it or irrigate it. But in areas where I would see also benefits is when you're dealing with cool conditions. This trip-till rig is gonna warm your soil up and it's also gonna dry it out, particularly if you're in a wetter environment. So there are benefits there. And you know, if you're just trying to save some dollars on fertilizer, what better way than to be more efficient and put it in where the root zones are gonna grow? All right, I lied. Last question. You lied. I did. Okay. So, what what advice would you have? I mean, you're you're relatively new to strip till. You're coming from no till. Yep. Um, you know, from our perspective, we're hearing you know growing interest and in, in at least taking a look at strip till and what it can do. You know, from what you've learned the first few years here, what what advice yep. would you have for guys that are thinking about getting into that system? Sure. If a grower's just thinking about starting to get into the strip till area, first of all, you got to look at it from a standpoint. Don't think about it how you're gonna make more bushels. Think about it how you can be more efficient. And then number two, there's a network of people that you can surround yourself with. Because hey, we've only been doing it for two years now. I am still a novice at Strip Till. I'm continuing to learn. We've had some great successes with it, but I know there's a lot more we're gonna glean from. And I've been able to surround myself with good folks. Folks here at the ETS group, the Soil Warrior, they've been beneficial in helping me understand how much fertilizer we can put out where to put it because there are different ways you can put it in the bottom of the trench you can put it on top you can mix it in the soil so there's a whole lot more to learn that i know and just surrounding yourself with good folks that's what's going to make everybody successful and i know there's a lot of interest and it's not that it's a trend it's just that hey we as growers we got to be efficient with our dollar and we have to be in roi mode and what better way than to be more efficient with whatever applications we're doing We'll get back to the program in a moment, but I wanted to thank and recognize our 12 title sponsors of the 7th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference for their support. Our 2020 title sponsors include AgroLiquid, Copperhead Ag, Dawn Equipment Company, Environmental Tillage Systems, Ingersoll, Kuhn Krauss, Montag Manufacturing, Orthman Manufacturing, Schlegel Manufacturing, Topcon Agriculture, Vulcan Equipment, and Yetter Manufacturing Company. All 12 title companies will exhibit during the two-day educational event in Omaha, and you can learn more about them and the conference at striptillconference.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear from Remington, Indiana farmer Jesse Stoller, whose family started strip tilling in 2014 on their 4,000-acre operation. This year, Jesse will custom strip till about 10,000 acres, advising customers on nutrient placement, precision technology application, and berm building. He offers a brief breakdown of the structure of his custom strip tilling operation to include entry point advice and tips for test driving the practice. 
I mean, on the farm, we strip-tilled for uh, seven, eight years. Okay. I think, I think about eight years. And, you know, we started uh, uh, kind of like everybody else. We started kind of hesitantly, kind of small. But, um, you know, we ended up growing pretty quick. You know, we started seeing, we started seeing you know, good yield uh, results, uh, benefits right away. And uh, the obvious soil, concert, you know, the conservation side of it was an obvious Plus, that's kind of where it all started for me, um, and I was focused uh, in uh, more of the technology um, in the past. Um, that's kind of where my college degree was, you know, specialized in. And so, um, really, you know, what enabled, you know, the strip-till revolution, if you will, is more, I mean, a lot of it's the technology available, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, because it's just very hard to manage without it. So, um, anyway, so, um, so yeah, basically about, let's see, it's been about a year and a half ago when, uh, when, uh, the co-op, uh, locally here who had done custom strip till in the past, um, they'd been doing it for six years and they were wanting to get out of the field operations side of it because they were having a hard time finding qualified operators. So, um, yeah, I basically contacted them, and, and we got together on, uh, so I basically do all of theirs, and I do a decent amount of our own, and on our own farm, um, and uh, so, like, last year, I covered about 7,500 acres, and that was a kind of a challenging year <laughs> right? with weather, so. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of how it all, it all took, you know, all happened, so. Okay. So you you mentioned uh, you know strip tilling seven eight years. So do you guys then still have kind of a, a family farm? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. My uh, my dad farms, my brother farms, and my okay. brother in law farm. They all farm together. Okay, gotcha. Uh, they farm about six thousand acres um, okay. together, pretty much in a strip till program. And finally, I chatted with Greeley, Colorado agronomist Mike Peterson who has led a two-year research study comparing the causes and remedies for compaction in strip-till, no-till, and conventional tillage systems across three states and eight different soil types from loamy sand to silty clay. He shares a few insights into the ongoing study and some of the early takeaways from the results. Compaction that has to do with both vertical compaction and also horizontal because mm-hmm. last year, during the wet years, we found an incredible amount of lateral compaction, and it was limiting both root development and also plant development. And then we saw it limit yield when the combine went through the field. I'd like to present that data plus what we're going to do this year. We're going to repeat it, go back to several of the fields that we were in, because we're looking at eight different soil textures in three different states, looking at strip till no-till, and conventional tillage. Okay. All, all in row crop, but we think we, and majorly me, we really believe that it will be a, a little bit of an eye-opener for people to understand, and then the research that has come out and says, okay, early on, in, for instance, in a corn plant's life, it only can exert so much uh, penetrating pressure at the root tip and I've talked about this a little bit in the past, but we've learned more about what that is through the growth 
cycle plans, what can what can happen and, and what we're seeing, and then so we think those springtime that springtime data will be very informative, and I think uh, present the case that gosh, guys, you know, you get into some of your multiple pass tillage that is full with tillage, and you've got big problems, and then mm-hmm. folks that don't pay attention to their harvesting procedures in a no-till operation or reinserting compaction, and it's it's limiting them in seasons afterwards, and they need to know, hey, this is something you're going to face. Mm-hmm. Not that not we're trying to slap anybody down, but I don't believe anybody in the university systems are looking at that. They just they are not getting any money. But we know that uh, once folks find out that they use a strip-till operation, they take care of a lot of those problems. They find out that, wow, I really did have an issue. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I like to present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that sounds, uh, I mean, that's certainly topical, um, you know, when we're talking about, what uh you know what a lot of folks encountered this past year and i think compaction certainly is uh, a something that <laughs> is is a legitimate you know conversation piece there when you're talking particularly you know if you guys are doing some you know research on that and, and comparing some different systems and you mentioned the soil types and kind of the, the state environments there too so um sounds like there's you know certainly some some value and, and would be some good information uh as far as what you guys are learning out of all that no one else is doing it, uh, yeah. especially in the scripture world. Uh, mm-hmm. And we feel as though our company is going to benefit from it, and no doubt uh, other scripture companies will. And mm-hmm. the grower, for sure, is going to benefit. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at fall scripture versus spring scripture, so that people get a chance to see that too. Mm-hmm. And with two years of data, I know that. Uh, we're not not looking to publish this except for on our precision tillage site, mm-hmm. but to give people an information that scientifically you can look at it, find it, and see how much it is and what effect it has. So, guys and gals, here you are. You can make a decision, but know that uh, there's a potential problem out there that is bigger than you. Well, thank you to each of our Strip-Till Conference speakers for taking time to chat with us. And you can find more information on the 7th Annual event, including a full conference program at striptillconference.com. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2020 podcast series. For all of our National Strip-Tillage Conference title sponsors, speakers, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. Thank you.